possibly rolling episode of Fire and Water Records, the music anthology podcast of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm Ryan Daly, and this is Volume 3 of Soundtrack Selections. This is where my special guest and I share some of our favorite songs that appeared in movie soundtracks, and we discuss how the song was used and what it meant for us as viewers and listeners. My guest this time is one half of Jeff and Rick Presents Unpacking the Power of Power Pack, a show that packs a lot of power in its title. Please welcome Mr. Rick Heineck into the show. What is up, man? Not too much. I am so happy to be here. I listened to the first episode you did with Sean, and I just got incredibly excited. I, I hadn't even stopped listening to the episode, and I was already working on what my list was, what I think I should talk about. You hadn't even invited me on the show yet. I just was <laughs> that excited. I'm like, I will get on this show somehow. I have opinions about soundtracks. So I this hit a lot of spots for me, and I... I just got very, very excited to talk about this. It certainly so. was a popular topic. I mean, I, I barely even like listened to it, the episode myself when my phone is blowing up. Everybody's like, hey, I called dibs on the next episode. I'm like, what? Wait, okay. It's like, what, what show is this for? Give me those Star Wars? No, okay. All right. No, no it's something that everybody's going to have an opinion on. And it's, it's accessible. You guys did a very nice job in coming up with a very accessible concept. So I, I think I, so too. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. And, yeah. Um, so <laughs> with that in mind, um, same deal. You've brought a handful of songs. I brought a handful of songs. Mine, I, I've kind of organized mine by a specific theme this time, and I'll talk about that. But what about you? Um, as we kind of get to your songs, before diving into the the specifics of what tracks you brought, right. big picture, kind of was there. A theme? Are these just generally your favorites, or was there is there some sort of other kind of meaning or context for your picks that we should know? Well, this this was interesting. Like I said, listening to your first show, I got very excited, and I just started writing down songs. Um, I came up with I think eight songs in my original cut, and you're like, "Whoa, there, cowboy! Bring it back down a little bit to six. And I'm like, "Okay, all right, all right." So for me, it was kind of just a lot of you know, what was the first things that came to mind. But then as I started to really think about the songs I selected, I realized that there was kind of a a heavy theme even with even with the two songs i had to cut those two songs were important for me because they they dealt with soundtracks that i owned Mm -hmm. soundtracks that really touched me and i think that's the overarching theme it's like these are the songs that helped really introduce me to my love of movies my love of music my love of the interplay between the two and this really was my introduction into what my musical taste would be and how I would go into movie theater, really get into movie and come out saying, I must buy that soundtrack because I want to remember this scene or this scene or this scene. And I want to hear it again. And I want to see it again while I'm listening to that music. Mm-hmm. So that, that ends up, that ended up being my overarching theme is these are the songs that, that really hit me in the good old feels. And I can see the scenes. I can feel the emotions from those soundtracks. Yeah. 
I, yeah, I, I definitely understand that. That goes along more with what my theme was for uh, for episode two, the, the episode that I did with Ciscoid. Um, for this one, I took kind of a different track just to kind of change things up and look at a little bit a little bit different. Um, are you familiar with the movie High Fidelity? Oh gosh, yes. <laughs> Good. Um, I, oh, I did, I yes, I wanna, am. I didn't want to have to hang up on you. And, and no, 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 no. Not saying that was a deal breaker or anything, but I would probably say that that movie would be my number ninth selection if you let me go that high. So, <laughs> <laughs> so strangely, I bring that up. That does not actually inform any of my specific song choices, but more kind of my my thematic list uh, of what I was going with. Um, if anybody listening to this has not heard the or has not seen the movie, and you really should, uh, and shout out again to the Film and Water podcast because Rob covered the movie on on a great yeah. episode that he did uh, with a guest that shall remain nameless. Um, <laughs> Uh, but part of it is John Cusack's character named Rob is kind of going through his history of horrible, like the, the women that he was really madly in love with who broke his heart, his top time, top five all time, great breakup stories, whatever. And he's also like, each one is associated with music and because his, his passion has been DJing and, and finding new music and he runs a record store and all this stuff. So music and love and romance, they're all kind of intertwined in this guy's life and his story. So I kind of took that approach, and for this one, I've got five songs. Each song is from a movie that I saw on a date in high school <laughs> with five different girls, and I was amazed to go back in my own history. I was like, I went on, I went on dates with five different girls to the movies in high school? Um, so Congratulations all... on you for remembering the movies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, uh, now, to date myself, all of these movies came out in like the years 1997, 98, and 99, I think. So like, yeah. a, a small amount of time, like my sophomore through senior years. Um, and I'll kind of get into the more specifics about it. I have also, I, in telling these stories, I will change the names of the, the girls that I went on a date with to protect their uh, their identities. And I'm actually going to be referring to them by the names of Rob's girlfriends from High Fidelity. So You, you could have also done uh, Rob Kelly's, too. So <laughs> Yeah. <they're- laughs> All right. Uh. So guest, uh, guest gets the first choice. So what is your first soundtrack selection for this episode? My first choice is Who Wants to Live Forever by Queen from the movie Highlander. This world has only one sweet moment set aside for us. First and foremost, this movie is my favorite movie of all time. I said that out loud, and I understand every flaw that exists in that film. There is tons of flaws, but 
it still is my favorite movie in all time, and I will stand by it to the dying day. It's not the greatest movie. No, there's a lot better ones out there, but I enjoy it. I love it. I was first introduced to this film as a freshman in high school back in 1990, so I'm a little bit, little bit older than you, but still in the same general time frame. My friend showed me this movie, and I had never experienced anything like watching that movie. This is also one of those strange movies that doesn't have an official album, so it doesn't have a real soundtrack album. All the music can be found on Queen's It's a Kind of Magic. And this kind of the story behind that is that the director, Russell McKay, got his start in music videos. And so he invited Queen to come over and see his cut of the film. The band got so excited that they started to write songs for the film on the way home. And there you go. You've got the entire movie done by Queen. Start to finish, it is all Queen songs. For those who haven't seen the film, first, shame on you. <laughs> <laughs> it is a story about immortals who live in our world and they have this battle that has been raging across time and they can only be killed if their heads get cut off. The main character is from Scotland, but the actor is not. And Sean Connery, who is also in it, is not playing somebody from Scotland, but he's playing somebody who is Egyptian by way of Spain. So there you go. It is a beautiful mess of a movie. <laughs> and you thought um, him playing a Russian sea captain was crazy in The Hunt for Red oh, October. <laughs> oh, that is sane after this movie, man. <laughs> this movie is just all over the board crazy. And, and the background story behind it is fantastic, too. But like I was saying, my friend sat me down, showed me this film, and I just fell in love. It just was my level of insanity, fantasy, and a rocking, rocking music. So this scene and this song are, are tied together in the movie where uh, the main character, Connor McLeod, he has just lost his teacher, uh, played by Sean Connery, and he has got the love of his life at that time in medieval Scotland. They are living just out in the middle of the highlands, and you see this, this pretty good-sized montage of his wife growing old as he stays the same age. And it's this beautiful heart-wrenching melody as you know it, it asks the question of you know who wants to live forever who you've got this power of mortality but you have this love that you do love and care for this woman who is mortal and, and you just watch Connor McLeod have to watch his wife grow old in front of his face and it's just it's tied together so beautifully and the music is so haunting it just it just hits all those things for me and it's kind of the reason one of the reasons I love the film and one of the reasons that scene stuck in my head and from then on, I started to really, really discover not only what my music enjoyment would be, but also how I would tie in my feelings with music and sound and cinema together. So, <laughs> I am shamed to say I have never seen Highlander. All right, we're going to do this, man. <clears throat> we are going to do this now. I, I, we got to do this at some point in time. We will we will set something up where you watch the movie and then we'll have a discussion about it. We'll put that we'll put that podcast out because you need to see it sometime. So it's, I, so it's not good. It's not good. <laughs> up, up until this point, I have been so like it just it. See, I've seen part like half maybe of Highlander to the Quickening. I don't know why, oh God. but I saw oh God. I saw half of that. I, I just it kind of just fell off the radar. I just never got around to it. And then once I found out that it was also David A. Gutierrez's movie, his favorite mm -hmm. movie, I kind of just refused to watch it just to spite him. <laughs> um, now the fact that you love it so much too, I, I'm kind of thinking, okay, 
Uh, maybe I should see it, but you know what I'm thinking? Let's let's actually let's do some incentive for this. If there is enough of a, a desire for this, we can make it a Patreon thing for the network. The way we did it with Rob Kelly watching some Transformers movies. Um, I like this. I like this. We'll get David on, and, and the two of us will double team you, have you watch the film, <laughs> and we will walk through it. I, I th- I've heard him wax poetic about it, too. And, and I, have, I have listened to about 10 hours worth of podcast discussions yeah. about this movie and the series, so I'm yeah, quite and, familiar with it. It's it's not good, but at the same time, it is so enjoyable. And 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 I would completely understand if you get out the other side going, no, this isn't for me. There, there's something tied into my young adolescent brain with it, and my love of fantasy, and my love of swords, and just the mystery of it all, and the music. All Queen songs, and there's some bangers in there too. And I, I have heard the Queen album. I'm familiar with this song. I really like the song. It's a great one. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, well, once you put it on your selection, I was like, okay, I can talk about this. I, I don't know. <laughs> I can't talk with authority about the movie, but yeah, this is a good song, a good selection, a good way to to kick off this episode. Yeah. What about you, sir? What is your first choice? Uh, so mine again. This is going to be a weird kind of selection, a weird collection of songs coming from me because these aren't necessarily favorite songs, uh, although they I I like them to some extent. But this sort of my first kind of date in high school was watching the movie I Know What You Did Last Summer. So the song that I'm picking is Hush, a Deep Purple cover performed by Kula Shaker. Well, This girl, this was a date with, uh, we'll call her Allison. Uh, it's October 1997. I get called by a kid from my class who I was, I knew from playing football the year before, but we weren't really friends. We weren't in the same circle. He was dating this girl, and he's like, hey, do you want to go on a double date with us? And I'm like, why is it? Well, you know, I want to go to see the movie or something, and her friend, you know, needs somebody to go with, and, you know, you're... Live. I was next door neighbors with this other girl that uh, my friend was dating. So I was like, oh, "Okay, sure, I'll go." So I they brought me along. I realized quickly after they brought they invited me along because I had a car and they didn't. <laughs> so I was like, "Okay, you need uh-huh. me to be the double for this girl, but really I'm just the mode of transportation." So we go to the movie, we watch it, and it's fine. I sit next to the girl. I'm feeling that she's not really that interested. And I'm like, okay, whatever. So I'm enjoying it. I try to be charming. I try to be personal. We go back to the the other girl's house after the movie and everything, and they kind of sneak off somewhere and start making out. So I'm basically just sitting on the couch talking to this girl who is not really interested in me. But I'm I'm doing my best. I'm like, you know what? I'm uh-huh. here. I'm going to bring my A game. I'm trying to be charming. I'm trying to be funny. Everything is kind of nice and everything. And at the end, uh, they're like, okay, so we, we got to go. So I drive the other guy home. And I'm like... 
He's like, so, you know, thanks for that. I'm like, yeah, don't ever ask me for a favor again. <laughs> kind of, what, what bullshit was this, dude? Um, you owe me yeah. so big. The next day at school, I found out that the girl, Allison, that I had gone out with was already starting to date another guy that she had agreed to go out with me just to make him jealous so he would make a move on her and everything like that. So I was like... Oh yeah, you know, I was like, screw oh. the lot of you. <laughs> I was like, oh, I was like, and you know what? The movie wasn't even that scary, but <laughs> <laughs> but um, it had a decent soundtrack. There were a couple of good songs in this. This one stuck out to me because I knew the Deep Purple song, Hush, and yeah. and, and I, I always thought it was a good song. It was kind of a good jamming song. This one. I, I rarely say this, but as a cover by a relatively unknown band that I wasn't familiar with that came out of like the 90s, I like this song more than the original. I just think it has a kind of energy and a kind of groove that the deep cut purple one is is lacking. And it's kind of, it's fast, it's kind of sexy in a way. I, I just, I like this song. It's a good little jam. Yeah, I, I I'm gonna be honest with you. I have not seen. I know what you did last summer. Like, okay, well, so that's a Patreon thing because you need to see that. No, I'm not gonna. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, not, not a problem. I, 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 if I did, it was so long ago. I just, but I looked up the song. I've been listening to it, and I listened to the Deep Purple cover as well, or the Deep Purple version as well. You are right. This song has the sped up tempo that that really hits the time period that the movie came out. I mean, it, if nothing else, it places that you know mid late nineties kind of pop beat and you're right i mean there's a sunny summer component to the presentation that is not in the original you listen to it and you just kind of see you and your friends rolling along a boardwalk wearing sunglasses mm-hmm. it's it's got that kind of energy and that kind of fun to it which really places you in to where that movie is kind of set at so it, i think it's a fantastic choice and i i enjoyed the song a lot too i was really really happy to be introduced to it yeah, definitely the best part of that date <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that and seeing Ryan Philippi get gutted in the movie. <laughs> maybe, maybe that was a close second. But um, All right, buddy. What is your second selection? Well, if, if it felt like I cheated a little bit with the first one, I'm cheating a lot with this one. But I got reasons for it. So my second choice is Comfortably Numb by Pink Floyd from Pink Floyd The Wall. There is no was organizing this entire list but according to when i discovered these songs and movies and so if you're following along at home this is still in high school and i'm still a freshman 
the guy who introduced me to the first movie, Highlander, uh, him and I started sneaking out of our house as freshmen, and we just snuck out of our house so we could roam the streets and cause chaos. We had one friend who we found out that we could you know, go into his basement, and his parents didn't care, didn't hear us, whatever, something like that. And we go down his basement, and we each have a two-liter of soda, and we drink that and watch movies until like two or three in the morning and then sneak back home. I mean, we were hellraisers, let me tell you. So... <laughs> This guy introduced me to The Wall. Now, this is the big shocker of this entire story. We never watched the movie High. And to this day, I have never seen this movie High. And I've watched this film dozens and dozens of times. And I'm convinced that I do not need the help of anything else to make this movie to be more of a trip than it is already. But this is what turned me on to Pink Floyd. I became a very big fan of the music. I love the movie. I still watch the movie and like, I haven't cracked all of it yet. And I know there's a little bit more I need to crack, but that's okay. That's the reason I kind of put it on here is because this once again, really instilled itself into my head and said, you know, here's what you can do with music and with film and, you know, hey, little freshman line, mind, let me open you up and let me install in you what you are going to love for your entire life as far as music selection, <laughs> even though other people think you're crazy. And I just loved this, the entire album of The Wall. And the reason I chose this song out of the entire collection, one, I can just vividly picture all of the scenes of this movie that this song is a part of. And it, and it just is really stuck in my head. I can listen to this movie, this music, and just chill out and just get that comfortably numb kind of feeling. It, it really does affect me on a lot of levels. Plus, I can also talk about the live version of Van Morrison mm -hmm. that was on The Departed. <laughs> and that's another movie where I'm I watching The Departed. Yep. Yeah, I was watching The Departed, and I kind of just stood up and like, what version is this, and where can I find it? Because I must own it. <laughs> but this song and this movie just brings me back to that time in my life and just chilling with my friends after sneaking out of a house. Just the entire misspent youth that I had. I So I saw this movie when I was way too young. Like, <laughs> Let me let me amend that statement. I saw part of this movie when I was way too young, like trying to stay up late to watch movies like on MTV or watch videos on MTV. And I think I think this was playing on MTV or something else, like some like channel. And I remember watching part of it and really not understanding what was going on. And then it got to this song. And I just how, how old how old how old are we talking? Oh God, younger than ten, seven or eight. Okay, something. All right. Uh, Go maybe. On. But I I remember seeing this guy being carried down a dark hallway <laughs> by men in suits and or police, I don't really remember, and there was some kind of doctor, and then he started changing into like the toxic Avenger uh -huh. and, or, and like molting or something. And I was like, I'm tapping out. I was like, what the hell is that? I, gotta, I think I turned it off in the middle of this. It was terrifying. Like, oh, God, I scared yes. the shit out of me. Oh, God, and yes. So I, I didn't listen to Pink Floyd after that, if you, can, if you can believe it. And it wasn't until, I kid you not, watching The Departed, when, in of all things, the love scene, when mm -hmm. I heard the Van Morrison uh, and Roger Waters live version of this song. And I was like, oh, I really like this song. What is it? 
And like I checked, I was like, oh yeah, that's from Pink Floyd, The Wall. And I was like, oh no, 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 no. I don't want to do that. I don't want to see. It. And then eventually, I mustered the courage to to listen to the album again. And I love this song. It's my favorite Pink Floyd song. Um, oh yeah. Probably not a unique. I mean, it's it, it is their. You picked it for a reason. I, I do think uh-huh. it is their their most popular and probably most best regarded. Yeah, I uh, I love this song. I love how I, I was actually looking up how like Roger Waters was in charge of like all of like the sort of like the verses and the opening arrangement, and then uh, the guitarist and I can't think of who the name of the guitarist. David Gilmore. Gilmore, Gilmore, yeah, yeah, and then he really kind of like just took charge of like the guitar solos and the two different breaks in the middle of it, and and how they kind of mashed these two things together the way they were working. And it's just a really great song with all of these different. Like it kind of tr- sucks you in with this kind of slow, kind of hypnotic melody sound, and then it just it breaks for those solos that I love them. I love the sound of this, and and I do. I really like the live version with Van Morrison's vocals does a lot for it too. Um, there's there's a there's another version that's just David Gilmore, and he's got like a five minute guitar solo in the middle of it that just the, the guitar is just bleeding at the end. It's beautiful. Nice. Yeah. It's wonderful. Yeah, I actually, no, I, I, a description I, I heard was that it sounds like the guitar is crying or something or screaming. Yeah. And and I I, I got to tell you, I, the movie itself it's it is not for everybody, and I get that completely. I, the, the, your story of just being terrified of by it, <laughs> I, I was a freshman in high school watching it, going, man, this is hard. <laughs> I want to watch it again, and I'm not right in the head for wanting to watch this again. But what what has happened to this guy? He looks like the Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man fell out, like collapsed on. It it sounds like you tapped out before you watched the part where he actually rips all that off of him. No, he starts to molt. Like he pulls that. Yeah, he pulls it pulls it apart, and then all of a sudden he's like the neo Nazi. It's like what happened? That was that was when I was like, "Yep, uh, turn this off. Going to bed. I'm I'm out. (laughs) I'm going to try and go to sleep after this. No, No danger of that." All right, uh, let's get on to something a little bit more uh, reasonable. <laughs> what do you have next? <laughs> uh, the next one is one of my all-time favorite songs. It is Romeo and Juliet by the Dire Straits from the movie Can't Hardly Wait. A love-struck Romeo Sing the streets of serenade Laying everybody low With a love song that he made Fine Steps out of the shade Says something like You and me, babe How about it? Juliet says Hey, it's Romeo He nearly gave me a heart attack He's underneath the window She's singing Hey, like my boyfriend's back You shouldn't come around here Singing up at people like that Anyway, what you gonna do about it? was loaded from the start and I bet and you exploded into my heart and I forget, I forget the movie song when you're gonna realize it was just that the time was wrong Uh, this is a little bit of a cheat because, well, not really. I mean, for our purposes, the song is in the movie but was not featured on the soundtrack to the movie. Um, but it is definitely in the movie, which came out in June of 1998. Uh, the girl in question this time, we'll call her Charlie. Um, she was an older woman for my purposes because uh, I saw this uh, right after after my sophomore year, so the summer that I was going to become a junior. She had graduated. She was two years older. 
and she very much was the first girl that I fell in love with uh, to a meaningful extent. I mean, there's there's crushes, there's the girls you pine for. I mean, I'd had crushes on girls since kindergarten. I mean, I that there I had never really questioned my sexual orientation. I knew from a pretty early age where what direction I was leaning towards. Um, but this girl, I, I fell hard for her. Um, and actually, I'm, there's another song on our list, one of your songs, that I'll actually I'll come back and tell another story about her. Um, but this was just one of our dates. Uh, we were just went to see this movie in the theater. Um, you know, I, I knew she was you know already making plans to go away for college. So in my mind, I knew that this wasn't a lasting thing. She was gonna leave. Um, and I kind of just wanted to ignore that. I wanted to pretend like that wasn't a thing. I thought, you know, yeah, we could always do this. This will be a lasting thing. But I just had this, I had this memory of uh, sitting in the th- movie theater with her, and a big group of people came and sat about ten rows behind us, and it was all guys from my or guys and girls like friends from my class who were on dates of their own, but like a big cluster of seven or eight people and everything like that. And I kind of heard them talking and everything. And, at one point before the movie, I got up to go to the bathroom or go to the concession stand or something to get like a, a drink refill or something. And just one of the guys was like, hey, Ryan, 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 yeah. It's like, who's that chick you're with? Everything. <laughs> and I was just like, I was like, who, the girl that I'm sitting with? Yeah. I was like, oh, that's your sister. And I was just like, just BSing, whatever, <laughs> stupid sophomore thing. Well, not sophomore thing because I was past it. But yeah, I was like, whatever, just do And I wouldn't even give them the answer. So like, I, I like the fact that they, they were really concerned. They're like, oh, that's Ryan. Who's he with? I don't know that girl and everything. I was like, yeah, yeah, she, yeah, she. I'm with an older woman. I got a prostitute for the evening. So, <laughs> so I just I, that was just for me that just felt very cool that these these other guys were like really interested in my in my social life that night, my romantic life. They're like, who's Ryan with? Like, what's this mystery? And I just I had the impression in my mind that they were they were really curious and like talking about it. And, like, it would be like the talk of school the next day. Like, who's who's Ryan's secret girlfriend or something? But. I don't know. It was just it was just something something stupid that I remember that particular date for that moment. The song, as I said, uh, by Dire Straits. Um, I love their music. I love Mark Knopfler. Um, he's one of. I think he's a very underrated. First of all, underrated guitarist, guitar player, uh, and just as a songwriter, he's just he's capable of very kind of ironic or self-deprecating humor in some of his songs. Um, and this one, not so much. I mean, this one is a pretty straightforward, but it's a love song, but it's it's kind of condenses sort of the, the story of Romeo and Juliet, but puts it in mm-hmm. very matter-of-fact kind of everyday language. Like, this could be a sort of um, a Cliff's Notes version for, like, kids reading Romeo and Juliet in school who don't get the Elizabethan tongue, and they kind of need it. Like, he actually has, like, a verse that's like... Romeo, he's underneath the window. Juliet is singing, Hey La, my boyfriend's back. Kind of referencing that old song. And I was just, I love the lyrics. I love what he does with the language in the song and just bringing it very kind of like street level Shakespeare. Uh, and it's just really, really cool. But beyond that, just like the melody of the guitar playing and everything, it's just a, a sweet, melodious, and beautiful song. So, yeah, one of my favorites. This was, I'm going to admit on this one too. Two of the movies on here you listed, I have never seen. This is one of them that's like, <laughs> I had not seen Can't Hardly Wait, so I need to go out and see it sometime. This hit, this hit the theaters at a point in time where, nah, that was beneath me going to see that film. Um, I want to talk about the song first here is, I was not really a, familiar with the song, but I am a fan of Dire Straits. I came to Dire Straits from um, a song from the episode of West Wing where they played Brothers, Brothers in Arms. Brothers in Arms, yeah, yeah. 
And this is very, very reminiscent of that song. It's that 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 very kind of spoken word singing that he's doing, mm-hmm. and 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 the very slow m- melody kind of haunting in there. All the things I love about that song, I found I was just really loving about this song as well too. So it's it's very very good. I really liked it. This was another gr- nice selection that you introduced me to, and I instantly made it to my playlist. <laughs> so thank you very much for that. I, I as far as your your date goes, I just have to say that uh, in high school when I was a junior, I dated a twenty two year old. Nice <laughs> and. Uh, Back then, I didn't understand why my parents were annoyed. <laughs> now I understand. <laughs> didn't care. She was my boss at work. In my whatever. <laughs> didn't care. <laughs> but yeah, statutory I what now? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. Just that there's there's that thing too of like I'm going out with an older woman, and you know, this is just awesome on a lot of levels. Sure, and yeah. you know, it's like that there is something really cool about that back then but yeah I, I looking back going how i'm going oh that that was good it's <laughs> uh, early as we say <laughs> yes, and and to be fair i was definitely the instigator of that relationship <laughs> so yeah <laughs> nice all right bring it back to your next one uh, all right for my next one, I'm actually going to get into a real, real soundtrack. And this is Chloe Dancer, Crown of Thorns by Mother Love Bone from the movie Singles. Chloe don't know better Chloe's just like Couple of years, dear friends But those lessons never learn this album on my list and i'm going to do a big shout out to my friend eric reistica he introduced me to this album this guy had an ear to the seattle sound scene back in high school and i mean he couldn't play a musical instrument he couldn't sing you look at him you're like you know music yeah he knew music he found this this soundtrack three months before the movie came out and he made me listen to it he's like yeah this is going to be big this is the same guy who handed me the album bleach and said hey i think this band's next album is going to be kind of good <laughs> what <laughs> but no, this soundtrack is just amazing i mean this captures a whole lot of talent that was just hitting it big at the moment when the film was coming out early 90s the film was based in and around the seattle music scene and it even features some of those big artists like pearl jam and and um Allison uh, Chains, yeah. Soundgarden, yeah. Sound like amazing. I remember going to this movie and just listening to the soundtrack before and after the show and just falling in love with 
everything about it. Now, the song itself tells a story of the mother love bone frontman Andrew Wood and his heroin addiction and his fiance. Now, his fiance danced at a strip club to support them as Wood tried to break out through the music industry and hence the dancer in the title. She only lasted for one hour before deciding it wasn't for her. <laughs> now, unfortunately, Andrew Wood, after trying to get his heroin addiction under control, he had a relapse and he died of an overdose in 1990. But he was really well known in the entire Seattle sound scene. And after his death, it really affected a lot of the artists like Pearl Jam and a lot of them. And they dedicated a lot of his work, a lot of their work to him in his honor. In the movie itself, this is kind of the song that overlays a lot of the really, really touching, momentous, or, or the, the touching and um, heartfelt scenes of some of the relationships that are fraying or falling apart. And I chose this song because it's just so amazing and hauntingly beautiful. It's so simple and heartfelt, and it just permeates and really speaks to everything that that film is. Plus, since it's two songs kind of together, you have the soft, moody element and then the mid-rocking piece of the second song, which is kind of like two of the big components of the 90s grunge scene. So I think it's a fantastic example of what that film and that soundtrack had to offer and, and just that, that touchstone in that point in time and in that area of the world. Yeah, I mean, when you when I saw this was on your list, I was like, damn, I can't believe I'm on the third episode and I haven't talked about singles yet. Because <laughs> this this soundtrack was one of my first albums, too, and I, I had this and I played the hell out of this. I mean, back, oh, yeah. back on the um, Record Revolution of, for 1993 that I did with my brother, we talked all about how much the, the Seattle sound and the grunge scene was huge for us. And this was like a linchpin album for that whole thing because it, it did. It encapsulated everything. It had all of those bands. Um, yeah, I love the movie. I love the soundtrack. Now, when I mean, when I was younger, I, I gravitated. I tended to gravitate towards this, uh, the Smashing Pumpkin song "Drown," which was at the very mm-hmm. end. I loved the Pearl Jam songs. I loved the Paul Westerberg songs. Um, <laughs> so I definitely kind of had my favorites. This song kind of crept up on me later as I got older. It, like it wasn't instantly like one of my favorites and everything. I think it was just because it was like too slow and I just wasn't in the head for it when I was younger. But certainly later I got it. And the first ha- the first sort of song, the Chloe Dancer part of it in particular, I just love the piano. I love Wood's voice. Um, it is just sort of beautiful and and tragic again when you think about like his death and and I actually I think really because I didn't know much about the band I knew them from the reference from this song but I didn't know anything really about Mother Love Bone until I heard that he it, after his death Pearl Jam and Soundgarden came together for the Temple of the Dog album that yes, sort of yes. dedicated to him. Uh, which I, I like, kind of like hearing like the Pearl Jam with Chris Cornell's vocals on on some tracks and everything. I thought that was very cool. But so yeah, I, I kind of I, I have to sort of always associate his death with their music and in particular with his voice. And there's a kind of pain in this voice in the song, yeah. in his voice. It just kind of like that high kind of screeching. And yeah, it just it cuts against the pianos in the first half, and I love it. It's such a beautiful moment. And and you're right, it comes at just like the right moment in the movie. Um, so yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm glad you brought this one cause I like talking about this one and I am sure that the single soundtrack will make return appearances on episodes of this, this podcast going forward. Cause there are it, a lot of songs I can talk about. Yeah, it has to, it's got such good music. It, it was, a, it took me a moment to kind of go through and I, I was listening to all the songs on there. I was like, 
any one of these I could talk about, but I, for me personally, there's something about this song in particular that just is, it's, it's kind of the linchpin of the movie and it's really what ties all of the pieces of the movie together, in my opinion. What about you? What's your next one here? Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I, I, I actually, let me, let me try this. You know what? I think I brought the mood down a little bit. How about you bring the mood up a little bit for us, buddy? Well, this song should certainly do that. Uh, the next song on the list is Steal My Sunshine by Len, or L-E-N, I don't know, from the movie Go. Now fuzzy stare from not being there on a confusing morning week. Impair my tribal lunar speak. And of course you can't become if you only say what you would have done. This was April 1999. This was the end of my junior year. The girl was Penny, we'll say. Um, not much about it. Like, I saw the movie with her and some other people. She did not like the movie. Um, I I remember loving it at the time just because it was like it was sort of Tarantino-esque in that it had like different parts of the movie in different orders and everything. But it was also like... Tarantino sped up on ecstasy and like club drugs and everything because I had this like discotheque like this this rave and everything and all the like a trip to Vegas and all this crazy stuff going on so there was just I I, I liked the movie um I I haven't I I don't think I've seen it since 1999 so I couldn't tell you if it's held up or anything about it maybe you can speak to that later uh-huh. um but. I dated this girl for a couple of months, and for some reason, this is the only movie that I can think of because we, that we went to the theater to because we did not like the same type of movies. We didn't like it, the same anything. I don't know why we were dating. This was one of the great mysteries of my life is why the heck did I date her? Why did she date me? We didn't like each other. Um, we didn't hate each other. We just had no reason. It was just like a mutual boredom that we started dating. Um, so the song, and, and we, we kind of crowdsourced this a little bit because originally I had a different song from this soundtrack, and I was like, this one, the Steal My Sunshine, is more emblematic of the album as a whole. It's it was a huge, it was a super popular hit. Aww. To this day, I don't know if I actually like the song or not. <laughs> when it first came out, when I first heard it, I thought the song was stupid. I thought it was horrible. I just remember thinking that it was too corny, too happy, there was no edge, there was no controversy, there was no pain to it. I mean, think about the songs that I've kind of like been talking about yeah. and everything like that. Like, I, I wanted something with a more edge to it and everything. There was nothing edgy about this. I thought it was just like bubblegum crap. I hated the music video because it was like these guys like just singing, like sitting, like they're in like sunny California, they're wearing wife beaters and like sideways hats and they're, they try, they, it looks like they're trying to look like, you know, hard like gangbangers or something like that with their girl friends and everything, but they're riding around on scooters and mopeds doing tricks and everything. I was like, this song doesn't make you look hard. Now, looking back, and I was like, was that supposed to be ironic? I don't know. Or they, was it supposed to be tongue-in-cheek? I have no idea. And I also, like, listening to the song again, I'm like, you know what? It's everything that I said. It, it is corny. There is no mm. edge or controversy about it. But that in itself does not make a bad song, because... 
the song, you know, Sugar, Oh, Honey, Honey. It's the same type of song. There's nothing wrong with that song. I love that song. I was like, there is a place in good music for just that kind of bubblegum pop. So I don't think there's anything wrong with that particular song. But I still don't know if I like this one. <laughs> I had to pick it because I needed something from that soundtrack that felt emblematic of the movie. I don't know if I like this would or would ever listen to it again after this. So, what do you I... think? <laughs> <laughs> well, the, you brought this film up, and I was like, wow, it's been a long time since I've seen Go. And I, I've got a very large movie collection, and I, I didn't even have to look. I knew it was in my movie collection, VHS tape. Bought from like the uh, the the rack off of Hollywood Videos old you know discount kind of thing. I had it. I've watched it. I remember certain scenes of that movie. But I was like, you know what? I'm gonna watch this again in preparation for this. For me personally, it held up. <laughs> I was I enjoyed the heck out of the film. I was like, I don't I can't remember enough about it. But I thought the cast was amazing. The soundtrack was banging, and it was just that. That late 90s, and I think you nailed it about right with that Quentin Tarantino-esque type of vibe, um, a bit of the old uh, Altman kind of, here's just a, a, a whole bunch of different stories that kind of all cross paths at different times. It's not really telling a story about anything except just these people's lives, <laughs> you know, and it's got that kind of film. I like those kind of films. Watch it with my wife. She couldn't handle it. She's like... <laughs> I'm I'm tapping out. I'm leaving. Nope, not not for me. This is just getting me way too intense. Uh, it, it's heavy drug use, heavy rave parties, uh, just a lot going on. And uh, as far as the song itself, I, I think this is you're right. This is a much better selection than your first choice because this is this is kind of the linchpin at the end of the film, and it's it's the song that kind of says, "Okay, all this happened. This is now our thesis. It's <laughs> don't steal my sunshine." And I was like. Yes, that's about right. But it it does hit those underlying themes of the film because it is it is part of that rave kind of backbeat music. That's the that's the underlying piece of the of the song, and that's a big part of the film is the rave music going on. But at the same time, it's just the the, the bubblegum airheadedness. Um, nothing really matters. We're just out here having fun. Let's go for it. <laughs> and and that's it. You know, actually, now I'm thinking, like, how, maybe this would have been another cheat. There's another song that was in the movie that wasn't on the soundtrack that I could have used, because it's a song that I actually genuinely love. Um, when Tay Diggs and the other guy go into the strip club in Vegas, uh, it's a Lenny Kravitz song, Always on the Run, which I love. It's one of my favorite Lenny Kravitz songs. And I, just, I didn't think about that in time, because it wasn't on the soundtrack, but yeah. Uh, sorry, I just like I said, I just rewatched the film and I'm sitting here in my head like, oh, that scene, nice. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, that's encouraging. Maybe I will see it again. Someday. Maybe I'll we'll rewatch it and revisit. It, so. All right, hit us with your next song. I'll bring it back down a level here, but um, <clears throat> I'm going to do "Burn" by The Cure from the movie The Crow.
unapologetically love this movie. And the music in this soundtrack is so woven into this film, I, I had to include it. And, you know, for keeping track, right about now, this is about when I was a senior in high school. Yeah, I'm kind of getting more into the, you know, the dark kind of things and, you know, the, the, the heavier kind of music and, you know, my own background reading comic books. And the story behind The Crow, as it was being, being released, it, this just this movie hit me at the right time in the 90s. Now, for those who don't know the story of The Crow, I don't know why you're listening to this, you know, podcast or, or this, this network and you haven't seen The Crow. But um, I'll try to be brief about it. The Crow tells the story of Eric Draven and his fiancée, Shelley. They're murdered the day before their wedding. And a year later, Eric is resurrected and is linked to a magical crow or mystical crow. He goes to seek revenge against those who killed him and his fiance. And violence occurs. Now, during the filming of this movie, Brandon Lee, who was the only son of Bruce Lee, was accidentally shot and killed by a prop gun that, that accidentally discharged projectile. Principal photography had merely been completed, so they were able to finish most of the project using a stunt double and some very creative photography and shadows. But that story in and of itself linked with the dark themes of the movie. At the time, Brandon Lee was engaged himself. It just it there was this tragedy and 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 just and darkness to the movie. But it was so beautiful and was such a a lovely tribute to this this young you know actor who had places to go, and the soundtrack, the music behind it. It, this was another one that took me hard, a long time to choose which of the songs because it's just a lot of good music and it's all good music from that era, just on the darker side of what we heard on the single soundtrack. But I had to go with this one because it, it's the first one on the soundtrack. And so it's it's the one that kicks off your listening when you're listening to the tape or CD and it puts you right in the film. You hear this music and you can see the burning city. You can hear the crow's wings flapping. The, the beat itself matches that flapping of the wings. There's a complexity to the song with the beat, the lyrics, the effects. I, I just have a hard time not closing my eyes and just seeing the film as I'm listening to that song. I watched the video for this again because it it's been a while since I've seen the movie. I love the movie. I, I always loved the movie, but it's one of those that's just fallen off and I haven't seen it in so long. And I was stunned at the visual aesthetic of the movie, how dark it is, but like kind of like darkly beautiful. And it, I remember as, as popular as this was amongst, you know, so many of my friends and, and like this whole fan culture and everything like that. It amazes me that I haven't seen another successful movie try to emulate this or or really look like this try i think i think the the daredevil movie tried to look and feel like this movie and i think it fell short by a lot yeah um, i don't hate the daredevil movie but i think it tried to be this one and it fell it, it it did not stick the landing but yeah there's just something the the look the sound the attitude of this it's all of that really transitional phase between just like hard grunge and like proto goth emo type of thing, just and like the visual of Draven's character with like the, the mime slash cl- sort of like clown makeup and everything like that, uh, and you know the black trench coats and the, the darkness and everything, and like the whole movie, the whole city is kind of like th- this character unto itself that just has like shadows upon shadows, and it's really kind of just a, an amazing visual. Tr- 
treat for to just like look at it and experience that. And you're right, the soundtrack is so part of that. And I, I can't like I think of the movie and like like five songs come to mind and everything like that. Mm-hmm. And I'm definitely I'm glad that you picked this one just because yeah, I, I hear this one. I I close my eyes, I hear this mu- music, and I see him running across the rooftops and like yes, like, like falling into like garbage or something like that. And it's just yes. And the entire the entire time the crows flying behind him, yep, you just yep. hear those wings beating. Ah, it's. It, I, I know that I've I've shown this film to other people and they they didn't grow up in the '90s and and grow up with the grunge or they didn't like the grunge and they're going nope I just I don't get it I don't get why this movie I'm like you know what if if you don't enjoy that movie or enjoy that goth you know texture of a movie yeah it's it's not going to get you because it's a violent vicious movie that's just that's got some very sad and 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 heartfelt things in it but. Yeah, it, it's one that I I tend to go. I went back to a lot as a as a uh, you know younger man. <laughs> this was also probably the first Cure song that I heard and really really liked. Uh, and I and I got yeah. into Cure. There was a they, I got a couple of their albums and I I really liked them for a little while. Uh, and I and, think this was probably my gateway into them. Yeah. And and it's different from a lot of their songs. Yeah, I mean, oh, yeah, you know, yeah, they, yeah. they are an emo band, but the, their songs tended to be a a lot happier a lot light well not happier a lot lighter i would say um in, in a lot of its presentation this one is is really the dark grunge and i don't know if they got too too much farther down that rabbit hole with their music no this one definitely feels more guitar driven than a lot mm-hmm. of their stuff that i'm familiar with that i liked but uh, great pick great pick yeah thank you all right uh bring us back up from this the uh, dark dark shadow cities <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> another one that does that at least the music does the music does <laughs> Uh, This is the song Dancing Queen by ABBA from the movie Summer of Sam. July 1999, the girl will call her Sarah. Uh, she was a platonic friend that I was falling in love with without realizing it. And part of the reason that I was falling in love with her was that she was helping me deal with my my feelings of, of being heartbroken over the girl Charlie that was a couple of songs <laughs> earlier. Um, and just my, like, my pain after that ended and just not kind of like feeling... This girl Sarah came into my life and was sort of the the nurse that helped me feel better and kind of the, the good friend that helped me put things in perspective and was there for me and supported me and, and made me feel like, you know, life would go on and everything like that. And, and I loved her for that and then slowly started to have more romantic feelings for her, though that never amounted to much of anything. But at the time, this movie came out, and I think the movie Shakespeare in Love had come out months earlier, mm-hmm. but it was I think it had a really limited release because it came out earlier in the year, and it came back in theaters around this same time. And we had made plans to go see that movie. And I thought, hey, Shakespeare romantic comedy movie mm-hmm. with this girl. Maybe this will spark something. It would be a good date movie. We go to the theater, and we are told by the, the ticket person who says, 
okay, we can sell you these tickets, you can see it if you want, but the print is damaged. There's a problem with the movie that some people have complained about it, and it might disrupt your enjoyment of the movie. And we're like, well, how bad is it? They're like, well, we, you know, it's some people have said it's it's are really distracting. And we're like, well, shit, we don't want to we don't want to see it now. If it's, it's, we can't see it, so we're like, well, what else can we do? So <laughs> instead of seeing, you know, Shakespeare in Love, it's like, well, there's this Spike Lee movie about a serial killer in 1977. Sure, let's go for it. Uh, so we watched uh, Summer of Sam, which is not actually a really not really about the Son of Sam. Yeah. It's just about the way the heat wave and the media hysteria about these killings kind of set apart these this kind of destruction for these two different people's lives. Uh, you got John Leguizamo, who is totally into the disco scene, and he's married to Mira Servino, but he cheats on her all of the time because he's really into more kinky, more crazy sex, and she's very kind of conservative. Uh, and at the, you've also got Adrian Brody, who comes back, and he's really getting into the punk scene of CBGBs and everything like that. And, she, and you see how both of their lives start to spiral. This song, Dancing Queen by ABBA, actually does not come in one of the disco numbers, because there are many disco scenes in this one. It actually comes after that, after John Leguizamo has taken his wife, and they've gone to this place. Uh, and basically, he, he's convinced her to get drunk, get high, and everything, and they kind of engage in this orgy thing. And it's one of those things where this is what he thought he needed from his marriage, and as soon as it happens, he hates her. He, he because now he can't he, he's disgusted by her and it's a, totally hypocritical but of course he they so they're driving home in the dark um it's just a very darkly lit shot and everything but they're driving home and he they they hate each other and you just see it on their faces and before long just eh, the smallest thing sets them off they start screaming at each other i actually read that spike lee basically encouraged them to ad lib most of the scene um which is believable because there's not really memorable dialogue they're just shouting and cursing at each other saying some pretty horrible things but she gets out of the car and she starts basically screaming, come and get me, son of Sam, come and kill me right here, or whatever. Like, and, she, and he's like, come on, get it. And he run, he gets out of the car to get her back in. She dives back into the car, gets in the driver's seat, and drives <laughs> off, leaving him stranded. And he's like running to chase her. And throughout the scene, what I love about it is you just feel the encroaching darkness. It's such a tense scene between the two of them, shouting at each other. But you never forget... They are really exposed here. There's nothing nearby, and we have already seen moments that the Son of Sam can come out of nowhere and just point a gun in your face, and you're dead. And I'm like, is he like he is he gonna kill her? Is he gonna kill him? Like, is it like they they are in real danger here? And especially when she gets in the car and drives it like ditches him, and he's like running through this park like alone. I was like, oh god, he's dead. Like this is so. It's just it it really he builds this tension in the scene. And throughout it, you never forget the fact that playing on the radio of the car is "You Are the Dancing Queen." I was like, "Oh my god, this is amazing!" So it's yeah. Um, needless to say, I I thought the movie was kind of fascinating, and I really like it. Sarah hated it; she, she was not happy. And whether it was a fault of the movie or my own shortcomings, nothing romantic ever really came <laughs> came of our treasure. We just became really, really good friends uh, in high school, and that was kind of the end of us. Um, but yeah, uh, I-, I thought it was kind of a fascinating movie that was unlike any of Spike Lee's other stuff that I had seen. Um, uh, just a great soundtrack that is full of, you know, punk and rock. Uh, you know, it's got like the Who's, um, Baba O'Reilly, and it's got tons of disco stuff. It's a crazy mismatch, but it's it's all that sound of 1977. So 
I, I hate to tell you this, man, but I, I think that she thought that it was a threat on your part. You go absent <laughs> with me. Uh, your life is in danger. This is a warning threat. Take it as you feel. Uh, now, uh, this is another movie that I saw. Back I shouldn't. In the, I shouldn't have. Oh, I shouldn't have winked at her during one of the origin no, scenes. I think no, that was the no. problem. I think that. Was... <clears throat> no, this is another one of those films that I saw back in the late '90s, and I have not revisited it. But I remember bits and pieces about it. I remember the mood setting. I remember that it was a great period piece. And Spike Lee. He does great work. So as far as the song itself, I mean, it's ABBA, Dancing Queen. You're either going to love this song or you're dead inside, okay? You can, you can say, I don't like ABBA. I don't like it. This song starts, even the biggest grouch in the world is going to be tapping his feet. And you can't help it, all right? Um, it's it's a great song, and it's great just how they juxtaposed that song against that terror, which is if you can successfully do that in a film, you're doing something right. Yeah. So, but no, it's a great timestamp of the era. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, right. in the late seventies. <laughs> Where do we go from there? Well, we're we're gonna keep a little bit. We aren't gonna go as deep as I went before. It's still a sad song, but. I want to introduce you to Am I Wrong by Love Spit Love from the movie Angus. And I've seen you don't need the sins when goes in and I'm lost in sleep. I can't stay in this place. I can't In my little timeline here, I was introduced to this film probably 96, 97, somewhere in there. I know that um, I was uh, living in a uh, townhouse with a couple of my friends, my best friend and another guy. We'd have movie nights. We'd, we'd get a bunch of movies. We'd watch them and just like you know, have a bunch of drinks and just have fun. And one of my friends or one of the guys who were kind of hanging out with us said, I got this movie for you. It's called Angus. And he started telling us about it. And we're like – this is not one of the movies we would like. He goes, no, no, no. You gotta see this movie. It, it, you're talking about a movie like a high school movie that nobody heard of. That it, it's about you know kind of a bully and stuff. No, we want to see things you know explode <laughs> and shoot and, and and you know we want some sex on the screen. What are you giving this high school movie, this kids movie for? But then we watched it and. I got instantly hooked. So Angus, because nobody's probably ever seen this movie. Um, I've seen it, yeah. <laughs> okay, it's you understand then. Uh, but it's about a large, very smart kid named Angus and the troubles that he deals with. The movie tackles bullying, the secret high school crush, the loser best friends trying to make their way. The main character, Angus, he's big kid who plays football in high school. And he's pretty smart as well. He excels in chemistry. He lives with his widowed mother that's played by Kathy Bates. 
<laughs> mid-90s Kathy Bates, and his grandpa is played by George C. Scott in one of his final roles. Uh-huh. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, his best friend is the short, skinny kid who also gets picked on, and the bully of the piece is played by James Vanderbeek <laughs> at the height of Johnson Creek fame. I mean, come on. This movie just writes itself. <laughs> So it's this great little film that just challenges the notion of what is normally accepted. And it's got some great lines. It's got some great music. The the, um, the chemistry that exists between the two lead kids and Kathy Bates and especially George C. Scott and, and the character that Angus plays against his grandpa. Amazing. And the music. This is a continuation of the 90s grunge theme that I just kind of keep on explaining and showing you here. It, it, it's throughout this entire film. But the standout for me personally is this song, Am I Wrong? This plays over the opening credits. So it's it's a bit of a interesting film because they do a soft opening where they kind of do Angus's history, like you know, he was born and how he grew up and like how he met his friend and how he's got this bully who keep he keeps busting this bully's nose. But then it comes up to high school and like it's a football game. And there's a timeout called and like uh you know, a huddle happens and then the band comes on the field and that's when the cred- opening credits occur, and this song plays as the band is on the field. So you got this didactic music because, yes, it's the song playing, but you've got the band in the background that's doing the song with, with it. And there's some moments where the song goes quiet, and you hear the the trombones and and the cymbals playing in the band, and it's just kind of keeping the music going, and it's just fantastic and very impressive and they do that kind of throughout the film there's a lot of times where the didactic music of what they're listening to or what's playing on the radio or or you know as they start playing some music that's what really kicks off the soundtrack of the of the movie yep. so the song itself is it's just this bittersweet song about two people trying to work through a romance which is a bit of what the film is too and it's very poignant and it's just such a beautiful heartfelt movie and it's it still to this day remains one of my favorite little hidden gems of a movie yeah this is this is my second favorite song on the on the soundtrack um because i definitely i i always loved the mazzy star song fade into you that's just another oh, one of those you know yes those, yeah 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 those like hauntingly beautiful ones um and yeah you're right like this was this was definitely from this era where the sort of Seattle grunge sound was sort of transitioning into this other kind of alternative that wasn't just like hard guitar driven and everything like that it was kind of like fading it from the punk into something a, not not commercial or mainstream but just something a little bit more pop radio friendly um but yeah i i really like the song this was and i i'd forgotten about it honestly until you mentioned it. i was like oh yeah i like that song a lot on that on that soundtrack uh yeah no it, it was great I, I don't have much else to add to it but um yeah it was, well, this how movie. did how did you discover this movie uh i think i saw it not in the theater but after when it came out um i'm pretty sure i would have rented it around when did this come out 94 95 Something like that. I didn't get to it about until about ninety six or ninety seven, but yeah. I think I think I saw it in junior high or early high school or something like that. So it would have been maybe like a year or two after it came out. But yeah, because I, I I just I remember I remember hearing like seeing like a trailer for it or whatever and watch and seeing like a music video for it. Yeah, I, I saw it then. I think I think of all the films that we kind of mentioned, I think this is one of the films I would I would highly recommend people go out and find because it's such a hidden gem. And it's it doesn't offend. Right. It, it's not going to offend you at all. Right. It's it's one of those films that you're going to watch and you're going to like. Yeah, I get this. I I get this and I understand it. And it's it's just such a sweet, enjoyable film. Yeah, it is. It's very it's relatable. It's 
it's feel good in in a kind of like subtle way but it's yeah oh definitely yeah uh, all right take us on what's next all right so my last selection for this episode is the song man on the moon by rem from the movie man on the moon now andy did you hear about this one tell me are you locked in the pond andy are you goofing on elvis too movie came out in December of 1999, which means this was right at the start of my longest, most meaningful uh, relationship in high school, uh, dating a girl named Laura. Our first sort of date was kind of a group date. We went and saw the movie Dogma, the Kevin Smith movie. Now, I was a huge fan of his, uh, his stuff. I've seen Clerks, Chasing Amy, Mallrats, so I was ready mm-hmm. for this one. Uh, and I, we, I had a circle of friends that were guys, boys and girls, and the girls brought another girl that I had been friends with and kind of like flirting with in like one of my classes and kind of just in the halls, but wasn't really on the radar. But they brought her over to our house where we did kind of did our pregame movie stuff um, before we all all went out to the theater. And they're like, "Hey, do you mind if she joins us?" I'm like, "No, no, that's fine." So I kind of talked to her and everything. I didn't realize that they were setting this up as like a, a date for us, like that she was interested in me and and kind of using this as a, this sort of excuse to go on our first date. It was a group date for us. I, I it was completely blindsided to that fact. I should have should have picked up on it, but. The fact is, she didn't know what she was getting from the movie because she was a good Catholic girl who went to Catholic school and everything <laughs> before coming to the public high school with us. Um, I knew what to expect. Oh, she didn't. No. So she hated the movie and everything about it. Um, but she liked discussing the movie with me afterwards because I was trying to put some of the more religious connotations in it into some context uh, and trying to be you know, a, a smart person who could talk about religious stuff that I really didn't know about or care about, but try to be appear more book smart than I was. And she appreciated that. She thought that part was kind of a turn on for me, even though she hated everything else about the movie. <laughs> um, so our first real proper date then, when it was just the two of us going on a date, um, was we saw the movie Man on the Moon, in which, case, in which Jim Carrey plays Andy Kaufman. Now, she went to see it because she liked Jim Carrey. She liked his movies like Liar, Liar and, and all the other stuff. And I wasn't as much of a fan of his, but I wanted to see this one just because it was in playing something different. Um, so we saw the movie together, and I don't think she liked it really. <laughs> Again, it wasn't her type of thing. I yeah. thought it was better. I was like, this is probably Jim Carrey's best work that I've seen up to now. But... Through that movie, she really liked this song, the R.E.M. song from, from the soundtrack. Um, and I had it because I had the R.E.M. album, The Automatic for the People. And she liked listening to that, so she ended up getting me the soundtrack. It was like one of the first gifts Like after we saw the movie. She bought the, the soundtrack for me, uh, which is the reason why this one makes the list. Um, it's a, a really cool, cool, really good song. It's not my favorite song on Automatic for the People, but that's not saying much because there's some amazing songs on it. <coughs> some of my favorite songs of theirs. Um, and this is just a good, memorable, catchy, and a good hook song. Um, but yeah, I always kind of remember her because of this one, and she was a, a very important part of my life for a long time. So, 
Yeah, it did not I, end well. It did not end well. <laughs> <laughs> this was, we, we we started off on a on much better than we ended, and yeah, yeah. I, I I have a lot of my relationships that could probably go that same. Uh, mm. It we started great. I guess the fact that it's not uh, not still together is probably telling. <laughs> well, the fact that it, it didn't it, end well. <laughs> I had a mixture. I most of mine ended badly, but I did have some mixtures of. Well, I had a relationship with somebody, and the relationship just stopped. Yeah, it's like we're we're not together anymore. And it's like okay, that's fine. We've we've moved on. And then there's other ones that's like oh, you know, you know, stuff got broken because it was thrown. So you know, it's been the entire gambit of of what happened there. But yeah, it yeah, been there. <laughs> um. <laughs> You know, honestly, I'm surprised that you did not choose the Mighty Mouse theme when you're talking about this movie because that—that's oh, what I would have chose, my, chose myself. But I, I, should I, have, I completely <laughs> didn't think of that. <laughs> that was my joke that I set up there. Boom, bam. Um, I have a very interesting relationship with REM because you know, senior year of high school, back in '94, I think that's when you know losing my religion was so big mm-hmm. that I just hated it i couldn't stand it i was like i don't like this song i i i think it was just my rebellion against everybody else i was like this is an amazing song I'm like no it sucks <laughs> and then all of a sudden i kind of you know it's actually kind of a good song <laughs> come back around I'm like oh yeah i like rem i like losing my religion get off my case so by the time man the moon came out i was on the rem bandwagon and i enjoyed I enjoyed the song. I remember I enjoyed this movie, too. Um, this was at the height of Jim Carrey's career, and it was also the shift. It's like, uh, Jim Carrey is going to do something real. Mm-hmm. He's going to do some acting. And he could still do his crazy, wacky stuff as you know Andy Kaufman, but at the same time, it's like you know he's also really acting out this role. And it was an interesting film because, you know, think about the time. This was right on the cusp of the internet actually starting to become this repository of all knowledge so this was before we could do a wikipedia search onto who is andy kaufman what was real what was fake what was part of his you know the persona that he built right this movie comes out as this biopic that sheds light on those questions of what was real or not so you know prior internet time prior wikipedia time this was kind of a a really important film Mm -hmm. good choice all right, bring us home with the final selection of the evening. Well, you know what? I started with Queen. I'm going to end with some Queen. <laughs> <laughs> um, I didn't plan on this. I had some other choices in between. I had to know the song to start with, but this is how we're ending, so this is where we're at. Under Pressure from Queen and David Bowie from Gross Point Blank. First and foremost, this song is just fantastic. Period. End of segment. Let's turn the music back on. Let's hear some more of it. Come on, let's just. All right. All right. What, what, uh, where can we find your other podcast? <laughs> oh no. So, 
uh, th- th- that's the first thing. It's the first. This is just a fantastic, fantastic song. Um, and I'll, it, anybody says differently, they are going to get a pin shoved in their leg. Um, <laughs> second, Vanilla Ice can bite me. He stole the beat. <laughs> but and and I will challenge anybody on this. We who grew up in that era, we all have a special place in our twisted little hearts for Ice Ice Baby. And you know, I'm not lying. <laughs> that, that song comes on, you're like, I'm going to lip sync to this for a while because I can. <laughs> Now, before you mentioned, you know, high fidelity, that's kind of been your theme. Talk about high fidelity. Talk about gross point blank, John Cusack movies, and that have some kicking albums. Well, that's gross point blank. This movie has got an album. You know, first, let's talk about John Cusack. Say anything, high fidelity, even stand by me. You know, he's got some great movies. He's got some great soundtracks that I have owned. But the best thing about this film is that there was so much music in it, they came out with a second soundtrack. Yep. And I owned them both. More music from the film. It's fantastic. I mean, they got Take On Me. They got um, some, uh, oh, God, My Love Opened the Door. It's like just yep. all this great, great music. And it's these 80s throwback songs that are just like, oh, I love it. I love it so much. It was really hard kind of looking at this because – I know that when this movie came out, I went right out and bought the album. And then I went right back out when they released the second album. I must own this as well. So this 1997 was another big, you know, instrumental part of my musical education because there was this film that's got all this great 80s back music that I just loved. And if you haven't seen the film, let's take another step back here because I got to get finished gushing about all the other stuff because it's exciting. It's under pressure. Um, <laughs> the film itself, John Cusack is an assassin, but he's starting to get burned out with his job as one does. So at the urging of his assistant playing by his sister, Joan, he goes to his high school reunion. Now he's never been home since he mysteriously disappeared right after high school. So he's having some issues reconnecting with his friends, his mentally ill mother, his high school sweetheart that he just walked out on, played by Minnie Driver. And, uh, you know, so he's trying to, re- you know, get all these things together. But, oh, wait, <laughs> there is also a job in town that he can do if he wants. And he's got to fight off other assassins who are also in town to try to do the job. One of them being his cartoonish competitor, played by Dan Aykroyd. This movie is knocking futz. All right? <laughs> <laughs> and I've always been there for it. It is just so blatantly crazy with this beautiful music coming throughout it Eh, whatever the song itself this happens during the reunion of the high school gym so the reunion is going on they're playing all the old 80s music and this is where you get most of it but he's in the high school gym and he's talking to one of these acquaintances and she's got this new baby now she asks john cusack to hold this baby this assassin that nobody knows he's an assassin, but he... Says, Even though he keeps telling baby. them. He, yeah, he never keeps lies telling about him. what he, he does. He, he keeps, and everybody, keeps, everybody's like, oh, ha, ha you're joking. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 really. What did you do? <laughs> I, I joined the army. I became a serial killer. <laughs> it's like, no. So, yeah, she, she asked him to hold the baby. And so he awkwardly just kind of holds the baby and he's staring into this kid's eyes. And you watch him have this epiphany about his life, his past, his future. And all the while, while Bowie and Mercury are talking about the terror of knowing what the world is about, it is a beautiful scene it's a beautiful movie and i wore these cds out playing them <laughs> that is my thesis right there <laughs> and it's it's a great one uh i'm so glad that i'm, I'm jealous that you picked this song because i, I would have um it's oh gosh i still might say i i still might think this is only my second favorite song on this album because 
I think I, I actually prefer the Pete Townsend, the the alternate version of Let My Love Open the Door. Um, I actually played that song at my wedding. Uh, I had that the one as a signature. I mashed up the music. I actually created a new file by mashing up because the, the Pete Townsend version is very slip, like stripped down, a very slow kind of ballad version of Let My Love Open the Door. And I had that version starting as just a, a, a song for me and my wife to dance to. And then I had it transition into the fast version that he does. And then we had kind of like our whole wedding party kind of come out and dance with us. Um, but getting back to this song, Under Pressure, uh, I, I love this song. I love this song so much. I love this, the point in the movie. And this movie has a special place in my heart, too, because when I was still very interested in the girl Charlie <laughs> from that, that I ended up seeing, though, going to um, Can't Hardly Wait With, this is actually before that. Uh, we went on a, a dinner date, uh, sort of at a, a friend's house, another friend's, they, they were dating, and we, we came over to sort of be her date, and then there were like two other guys who kind of joined us, um, and they were like, hey, Ryan, go out and like rent some movies, bring some movies for us to watch, and I rented Boogie Nights and <laughs> Gross Point Blank. Um, the hell? <laughs> I, I, I was like, you know what, we, we've got a variety. Um, yeah. Yeah. They they decided to go with the lighter fare, Gross Point Blank, uh, which is fine because the, the next day I, I took the movies home and I watched uh, Boogie Nights by myself and I fell in love with that movie. It's one of my favorites. Um, but we watched Gross Point Blank that night and everything and we just we enjoyed it. And then like afterwards, you know, the, this guy Ben was like, "Hey, can you take the other guys home or whatever? Like just go out, take them home or whatever." And I was like, "Okay." And then I so I me and this girl we took the other guys back to their house and the whole time I'm thinking I was like. Was I just the beard again? Am I reliving the same situation? I was like, was I just brought here to make this other girl's boyfriend jealous? I was like, son of a bitch. Um, but we ended up, so we took them home, and then me and this girl go back to the other uh, couple's house where we had to have dinner. And they're in their bedroom fooling around. There were no uh, parents there and everything. So we go into this basement, and we're just kind of like talking. I think we had like drinks or something like that. And ended up leading into my first real serious kiss which fueled me falling in love with this girl and her becoming my first sort of real, real lover. Um, and it was fueled by, because of that, that night and just kind of like lying down on the floor and kissing her and everything like that. And it, but it all kind of came out. I, I associate this movie with that and the song too, in particular. So yeah, yeah this was sort of my backdoor sixth song on the list. Cause I take it back to one of those, hey. one of those, uh, relationships things. So not a problem at all. I'm glad I could, I mean, it is such a good song, and 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 if you like this movie, if if this movie, I, I, in my mind, I'm going. I need to say this movie now because I know you're going to say it at some point in time, and it, it's it's so important with the music that was in it. It's such a fun movie. If I'm going to choose anything, I, mean, I agree the Pete Townsend movie is fantastic, and it's I it's kind of one of the first songs I think about this film, but. I can't pass up doing Under Pressure. <laughs> it's so good. And like you said, you started with Dewey and you ended with Queen. It's the Alpha and Omega of this episode, yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, great. Well, you know, Rick, thank you very much. And like you said, you, you had more songs that didn't make the cut, so I'm sure I will have you back on this. we gotta we got to share the love. More people want to be on this show. I'm, I'm just going to say this. I've already got a John Cusack soundtrack. I've got a superhero <laughs> soundtrack. i got a power ballad of the 80s soundtrack. You just give me a call, and I'll be here, man. <laughs> we'll see. Soundtrack selections eight, maybe. We'll see. I'll, I'll find a way to get you up, but yeah. Um, until then, until your return appearance, where else can people find you in the podcastosphere? 
Well, my beautiful songbird of a co-host, Jeff, and I host a podcast about the Marvel comic team, Power Pack, and it's called Unpacking the Power of Power Pack. You can find our show wherever fine podcasts are available, or you can find us on Twitter at JeffRickPresent, or at our website, JeffRickPresent.wordpress.com. Awesome, awesome. Thank you one more time for being on the show. It was great to have you here. Fire and Water Records is a proud part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Feedback for the show can be left at fireandwaterpodcast.com as well as Facebook and Twitter. Special thanks to our Patreon supporters. For more information on how you can support the Fire and Water Podcast Network, visit patreon.com slash fwpodcasts. If you like the show but don't wish to support us through Patreon, please go to iTunes and leave a nice five-star review for Fire and Water Records. Every review helps iTunes push this podcast to a wider and wider audience. All music clips and quoted lyrics are used for entertainment purposes and no copyright infringement is intended. Thanks for listening. Shut up.